Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This 10th year of Daily Tech News Show is made possible by its listeners. Thanks to all of you, including Justin Zellers, Pepper Giese, and Eric Holm. Coming up on DTNS, is machine learning coming for game dialogue writers now? And is that a bad thing? TikTok says, trust us, we're keeping the U.S. safe. And Counter-Strike 2 might be available to you ahead of its release. This is the Daily Tech News for Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. From Studio Redwood, I'm Sarah Lane. In Salt Lake City, I'm Scott Johnson. And... From a soggy uh, L.A. area, I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. Well, we hope everybody's keeping dry or uh, uh, humidified, uh, depending on where you live in the world. Uh, But but, uh, if you're here, you're with us. So let's start with the quick hits. Amazon announced Wednesday it sold more than 200 million Fire TV devices. That's a combination of Fire TV streamers, third-party TVs that run Fire TV software, and Amazon's owned televisions. That's 50 million since CES 2022 when Amazon said it had crossed 150 million sales. The company also announced smaller 43-inch, 50-inch, and 55-inch options of its flagship Fire TV Omni QLED series and is launching a cheaper TV lineup called the 2 Series, limited to HD resolution, but also starting at $200. It's a pretty good deal. Well, Amazon also announced Panera became the first restaurant to deploy its Amazon One Palm reading payment system. The initial rollout started with two locations in St. Louis, but will expand in that market and Seattle with 10 to 20 locations by the end of the year. Uh, Customers will link their My Panera account to their Amazon One account. Amazon also added the ability to link loyalty accounts to Amazon One ID to use the scan at different locations. Users can also pre-enroll in Amazon One online ahead of a visit. Earlier this week, security researchers revealed that the markup tool on Pixel devices allowed people to partially recover content that was edited out of an image. Now, software engineer Chris Bloom confirmed a similar issue is impacting the Windows 11 snipping tool. When saving over an original image file with an edited file, the snipping tool does not properly truncate data. 
It's not visible on the PNG file itself, but a simple Python script could partially recover content. Microsoft says it's looking into the issue. Well, I hope so. Microsoft-owned GitHub announced a new version of its app called Copilot that uses OpenAI's language generation tool to help software developers write computer code. Copilot X adds new chat and voice features that can surface explanations of code segments and propose bug fixes if any are needed. Uh, they always are. GitHub first previewed the Copilot in 2021 and released it to the public last year. GitHub will also start using GPT-4 for chat, but code implementation features will uh, continue using older language models that optimize for pace rather than accuracy. Copilot X currently offers a wait list for preview. According to the annual report from the International Federation of the Phonographic Industry, global recorded music revenue grew 9% in 2022 to $26.2 billion. Of this subscription, audio streaming grew revenue 10.3% to $12.7 billion, with 589 million paid subscription accounts. Ad-supported streaming generated $4.8 billion. Physical media revenue increased 4% on the year. It just keeps increasing, everybody, with Asia accounting for 49.8% of those physical sales. Vinyl records are back, baby. They're back. All right, right, Scott, let's talk about... Let's talk about uh, how you write video games and how that might be changing. Well, um, embattled studio, I'll say, and publisher uh, Ubisoft, for lots of reasons we won't get into today, announced uh, they are going to be using a new tool called Ghostwriter. And uh, this is designed to help its developers write game dialogue. company said the tool is developed in-house and is used to generate first drafts of NPC barks Uh, The phrase is made by game characters when players interact with them. That's what those are called. Kotaku's Luke Plunkett says, quote, or Luke Plunkett, rather, uh, says this, calling this tool artificial intelligence imbues it with an underserved sense of awe and respect stemming from the association of the term with examples from science fiction. It's wildly inaccurate. The stuff is machine learning, not AI. There's a difference. But calling it AI is exactly what its creators and chief profiteers would like us to think. So uh, I did a little digging here because, uh, you know, on DTNS and sort of elsewhere lately, we're all talking about AI, you know, coming for the human jobs. But are, but is it really? And how will humans, you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, make this tool work for them rather than, you know, be out of work? Um <laughs> Quite a few uh, folks were not thrilled about this concept. Uh, we have Alana Pierce on Twitter. I'll, I'll read a couple. I'll read a couple tweets now, uh, saying, "As a writer, having to edit AI-generated scripts or dialogue sounds far more time-consuming than just writing my own temp lines. I would far prefer AAA studios use whatever budget it costs to make tools like this to instead hire more writers." Ed Coates echoed that sentiment, saying, I feel so sad and powerless. Don't be fooled by their claims of support. This is exactly how it starts. They're clearly testing the waters of the small stuff before rolling out more aggressive forms of AI. This work could have created a job for a junior. Beep. Disgusting. You get the you get the sentiment there, <laughs> and then Patrick Weeks said, notably absent are quotes from all the writers saying this is definitely a new tool that we asked for, and not something that someone in another department pitched to a manager who doesn't write content themselves, who is now making us use it. So okay, 
Uh, Scott, you know, there are some questions about, you know, how these sorts of things help uh, people in various industries, particularly in the script writing category. When it comes to games, I'm not sure that, you know, a lot of folks out there, you know, some folks in the DTNS audience will know, but what an NPC bark is, you know, and, All right. and it, how that works. Well, let me let me get to where you might see this in a game that Ubisoft would publish. They currently make uh, the very successful line of Assassin's Creed games, and every one of those games is chock full of NPCs, non-playable characters, that are scattered around the world. Let's use... Assassin's Creed Origin is the example. This is set in ancient Egypt. And in every little town or city or village you're in, there's a scattering of people standing around doing various things. Uh, Barks might be you're walking past the guy running the stables. And as you do so, he'll say, boy, my horse sure is sweaty today or whatever he may say. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a human. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, look at me over here. And he might be doing that for a couple of reasons. One might be he's trying to encourage you to come check him out and buy a horse from him or take a quest from him or some other interaction that the game's looking for. A lot of times this stuff is used just as filler to make the world feel alive. These are all people going about their lives. Uh, They often have actors portraying these characters in their native languages and or accents. So it feels very real and very immersive, uh, especially in ancient Egypt. And it works out really well. This is this is what Ubisoft's claim is at this stage anyway, is that these tools will be used to create these starter lines for those kinds of NPCs in the world. Not necessarily the big arcing story that you and your character you've made are going to experience as you run through the 60 hours of content or more. That's not what they're saying. They're saying it's going to be these small examples. And that may be true. That may be exactly what they intend to start with. In fact, I think if you were going to implement a tool like this, this is where you would start. You would start with the stuff that is a little bit uh, more low-hanging fruit, a little Mm -hmm. easier for uh, the humans who already write this stuff it's their easier job as it is. I don't want to make any of it sound easy. It's not what I mean, but they, you know, this is, this is not the in-depth, very dialogue heavy stuff. These are little small bits, but I agree generally with the sentiment that the goal here isn't to just forever be that the goal here is to test the waters, see how it goes and then see how much of this stuff they can write without having to pay human writers. And you may say, well, that's sure jumping uh, straight to the end there, Scott. How do you know that's their intent? Why wouldn't this be their intent? If that works well and they move up the chain and say, okay, well, now our main story writers are going to get these as well. They're going to start in draft form. They're going to get refined by machine learning. You might have one editor somewhere down the line who will go over it all to make sure we're cool. But if they can do that and do it successfully and the technology goes along with it in terms of, you know, it continuing to get better this means it a gigantic development savings for them. And yeah. the fact that they can also turn around and have a bunch of AI generated uh, voice actors do it as well. You can kind of see the problem. It sort of starts stacking on top of itself and people are not going to be happy. Yeah. I, I, I can see where Ubisoft is like, but the, these are the most sort of general. Yeah. The guy with the horse, <laughs> you know, let's just write that for you. So you can concentrate on, the more, you know, the more overarching, um, you know, uh, uh, story of the game, you know, this is going to make things easier for you, writers, writers saying, "Mm, I don't know, we don't like it. Um, By the way, 
the blanket term AI, which is what Kotaku's Luke Plunkett had issue with, um, AI does get used a lot as a blanket term, not necessarily the most illustrative way to describe these particular tools. This is more of a machine learning thing. So if you are confused between the two and you want to know a little more, <laughs> do we have something for you? Tom Merritt's Know a Little More episode called About Machine Learning to Know a Little More dives into exactly this. We will have the link in our show notes where you can, uh, if you're a patron, you can also look it up on our Patreon. Sounds great. Let's stay in the gaming space for a little bit and talk about Valve. They tweeted Wednesday, and that's today, the Counter-Strike 2 is official. Long rumored, nobody was 100% sure, Valve made it official today. They uh, are going to do this with a limited test for CS2 rolling out today for some Windows users, that is to say Steam users. That's where you'll be playing this. Valve said the game is an overhaul to every system, every piece of content, and every part of the CS experience. Uh, that's the end of the quote. With a website for the game promising years of updates and new features, Counter-Strike 2 will be free to play for everybody after the expected wide release this summer of all times. Yeah, so Valve's Source 2 engine is powering CS2, Counter-Strike 2, with updates to core mechanics like improved smoke grenades, sub-tick updates that Valve says will let servers know the exact instant that motion starts, or a shot is fired, or a grenade is thrown. There are revamped maps, better visuals, UI enhancements, and reworked audio, at least that's what has been promised, as for who gets the limited test, the company says your recent playtime on Valve official servers, your trust factor, your Steam account standing all play a role in this. If you're selected, you get a notification on the CSGO main menu to enroll, and then you're allowed to stream and post videos. But you'll only be playing the limited test on Counter-Strike's Dust2 map in Deathmatch and unranked competitive matchmaking modes for the time being. Scott, some of this uh, is a little lost on me, but it's not lost on you. I have to say, first, are you part of this limited test? I'm not. I have. I think I, I, I adhere to all of their needs, except for I haven't played a lot of Counter-Strike in the last five years or so. I used to play a ton so they don't have a lot of recent activity for me. I'm guessing I'm not on that list as that as as a result. But mm-hmm. I'm in pretty good standing. Here's the thing, though. Um, some of you may be listening to this or watching this and going, hold on a second. Why are we getting this gaming story in the middle of my tech show? And there is a bit of a tech angle, at least a tech strategy angle to this. that I think is kind of interesting. In a lot of ways, Valve uh, created what we think of now as a free-to-play team-based shooter game that gets a whole lot of people coming in there and playing for free and then selling things like hats and skins and gun skins and all the things you get for your microtransactions, um, that sort of thing. The only real thing they didn't innovate in that time were battle passes, which sort of came later. But things like Fortnite, Overwatch, uh, oh, countless others. I can't think of them all of a sudden. But all these other shooters that are like free-to-play shooters that are out there taking the time of gamers a lot of the blueprint that they are built on in terms of how they attract people, how they keep people around and how they make their money are based quite frankly on a lot of what, what valve did with team fortress two and a game like counter-strike global offensive. And before that, just regular old counter-strike when it was a mod for half-life. Mm-hmm. Um, I see this as a big strategy for a major platform, the biggest, most influential gaming platform on PCs without a doubt uh, saying, look, we gave you guys a bunch of ideas. Hey, Riot and Valorant, good job kind of basically copying Counter-Strike and adding a few of your own twists, but really that's what you did. 
uh, we're coming back at it, and we're coming back at it with a brand new game. Not just simple updates, not a couple of tweaks to the engine, but a ground-up effort to say to them and Epic and others who kind of control this space right now, don't forget Valve has a foot in all of this, and we've never and we never left. And I think I think they have a chance of taking a lot of that business back. Um, and a lot has grown since then. Call of Duty has an enormous free to play uh, uh, player base right now. So so Activision is in there in their crosshairs. A lot of people are. I also suspect this is going to mean Counter Strike back on consoles, which has not happened for a very long time. Uh, they didn't commit to that yet, but I, I'll bet you money that'll happen. So. So I see it as kind of a big move by a massive company, still privately held company, and on the backs of uh, other successful franchises, including a very popular Steam Deck hardware solution, this is a pretty good move for them if they want to they have a little dominance in that space again. I did notice that um, some Windows users, only Windows users, uh, will have access to the limited test. No mention of Steam Deck does that surprise you? Uh, it shouldn't matter. I mean, they didn't mention Steam Deck, but the truth is, if it has controller support on the get-go, this will run on Steam. Yeah. Or, excuse me, on Steam Deck. Everything that runs on Steam, for the most part, will run on the Steam Deck. They definitely have that in mind. Whether it's part of the test or not, that's hard to say. Um, whether they even have controller support in this version of the test is hard to say. But ultimately, they will have controller support. Certainly, it will run on the deck. And uh, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and since it's through all, it's through Steam. In theory, when you're on the test, you will eventually get to play it there. But even that said, hook a computer, or excuse me, hook a keyboard and a mouse up to your Steam Deck, and you'll be playing, you know, the keyboard mouse version of the game on your Steam Deck, no problem. So it's just uh, in their minds another PC, and it doesn't really matter because it runs Steam. So Got it. Well, you might have thoughts on this or anything else we talk about on the show. So let's remind you of our email address so you can give us feedback because we want it. Email us, feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, 
Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. All right, it's TikTok news again. Bloomberg reports that it has reviewed TikTok CEO Xiao Chu's prepared comments for the U.S. House Energy and Commerce Committee ahead of him uh, testifying to Congress tomorrow, Thursday. Chu reportedly plans to say that TikTok hasn't and won't share information demanded by the Communist Party, as it's merely ByteDance's U.S. and Singapore-based subsidiary. Prepared opening remarks say that, quote, TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, was founded by Chinese entrepreneurs, but has evolved into a global enterprise since its founding. Under this structure, there is no way for the Chinese government to access it or compel access to it. Chu also is expected to outline the $1.5 billion plan with a B to protect American users by keeping U.S. data in Oracle's domestic servers right here in the United States. Plus, it will allow auditing of TikTok's algorithm and appoint an independent third-person board, or three-person board, that is, approved by the U.S. government for U.S. operations. Uh, Measures to keep users, uh, think kids in this case, safe include blocking uh, under-16-year-old users from sending direct messages and forcing one-hour scrolling limits for those below the age of 18, a new policy already in place, actually. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, very very new, but still in place. Mm -hmm. She was also looking for support from TikTok users themselves in a post Tuesday on TikTok's official TikTok account uh, that's already received more than 65,000 comments. Chu asked users what they would tell U.S. representatives why they love the app. The information's Jessica Lesson notes, this is not unlike when Uber pushed users inside its app to write a letter to politicians in cities that were trying to ban the Uber service. Yeah, that happens a lot, I think, with a lot of companies when they're trying to get the best possible spin on things. But Uh um, the New York Times notes that of the 150 million users in the states alone, some accounts are run by small businesses. And notes that Gina Raimondo, a commerce secretary or the commerce secretary, has pointed out some of the world's largest news organizations, including the New York Times itself, now have TikTok accounts. That's true. Shutting down the app could be seen to be shutting down the spread of fact-based news in order to counter the Chinese disinformation that is being alleged. Uh, Then there's the question of the algorithm itself. Even if sensitive data never gets collected, influential content served up to TikTok users has power all of you know all in itself indeed it does uh roger we were talking in the pre-show about our feelings on this and where we think this might go uh tomorrow and in the future um so it's what say you well what's what's interesting is uh the grilling is going to be very bipartisan right there there isn't one Mm -hmm. party that is more favorable to tiktok than the other both uh, both leading parties are very very skeptical uh, of the service, and you know it, it, it's there's a lot that TikTok could do. I think to assuage fears, but I don't think any of that would actually matter in the end because the parent company ByteDance is domiciled in China, and you know that whole concept is very loaded for the company. If 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 TikTok was started by a South Korean company or a Singaporean company, I don't think even even with all the same issues regarding, I don't think it would receive as much scrutiny because being no, attached, not. having China as part of your uh, 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 your 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 
brand, even if it isn't directly, because you know TikTok is the international version of Douyin, which which is a Chinese only uh, service that is like TikTok. Um, but I mean, th- unless they're willing to to go the extra mile and like just set up a separate company that's outside of China that is not uh, a subject to whatever national intelligence laws that China has that compels individuals and organizations uh, to to assist the government in, in whatever uh, activities that it deems necessary to secure the national interest it's there's always going to be questions around it regardless of they could they could be uh, an entirely uh, altruistic company and there would still be this kind of scrutiny and skepticism over uh, how they operate. Yeah, I think there's no getting around that. And the problem is, as long as it's a fruitful political football to kick around, they're not actually that interested in, in seeing any of this get fixed or even what Chu has to say in this, in this committee meeting. Um, you know, I have my own mixed opinions about all of this, but my, my main takeaway is uh, like them or not, hate them or not, think they're up to no good or not, it kind of doesn't matter at this point because whether they complete completely make themselves transparent to Congress or any other governing body or not, I I don't know how it's enough, and I don't know how TikTok can make any kind of you know uh, statement that doesn't have some sort of counter to it because uh, again, for good or bad, it is politically advantageous to keep that ball in the air. Yeah, it is, and it, there's there's. And, you know, there's really no simple way around it. I mean, unless ByteDance decides to upstakes and move their headquarters to the Cayman Island where they're incorporated uh, internationally, you know, that that the, there there is just the, there there's a there's an understanding because it's not it, it is political, but it's also competitiveness. Right. You you a lot of national governments see. TikTok, and I guarantee you, the U.S. won't be the only one that's doing this. Uh, but when they look at TikTok, they see uh, a competitor to, to whatever local industries that they might have, especially in the uh, media space. But more importantly, it's it, it, the, the, there is a sense that you know wh- whatever this is, it's Chinese, and because it's Chinese, it just has a target on its back from the get go. Yeah. Well, the Association for Computing Machinery, the world's largest society of computing professionals, has awarded Dr. Bob Metcalf this year's Turing Award for his work creating the Ethernet Network Technology Standard. <laughs> kind of a big deal. Dr. Metcalf, along with colleagues David Boggs, Chuck Thatcher, and Butler Lampson, developed Ethernet during their time at Xerox Park. If you're not familiar, Park stands for Palo Alto Reacher Center. Metcalf was inspired by the University of Hawaii's AlohaNet that was a pioneering wireless data packet network using high-frequency radio waves and a new technique for coordinating intermittent transmitters into a single communication channel called Aloha Random Access. Way back in 1979, I was three. Dr. Metcalf started 3Com to commercial Ethernet technology. Yeah, that, that's when it started, before the 80s. The name Ethernet was named after the medium that was thought responsible for propagating light waves through space by 19th century academics. Wow. Congrats to you, Dr. Metcalf. Yeah, nice job. I feel Hi. like this is uh, its not the kind of thing you hear people talking about at restaurants, but I'd still be proud, you know? 
I remember when they the, there was there was a might. bunch of companies in the eighties, and I helped my friends set up one of these uh, local area network using one. It was called Little Big Land. Um, but I remember how what a pain in the the tush it was to get it set up. You had to set up software, and be, just remember this was DOS was still the, like the main operating system for PCs, DOS five point yeah. and you had to you had to set up software on one PC and then the other. All these things that you take for granted today when you just plug in an Ethernet cable or you attach yourself to a Wi-Fi network, everything just works. It required like an hour. No, it actually required, required four hours of our time that evening to get both. And these are only two computers, like mm-hmm. to get them working so they could share data, they could share a drive. Um, and, you know, we still use it today. And it's amazing how resilient that technology has been. What's wild to me is how often Xerox Park Center gets brought up uh, in historical, the historical sense of different tech and different uh, startups and different people who are inspired by what they saw there. Mouse technology leading to what ended up being in the Mac mm-hmm. and or the Lisa, I guess, and then the Mac, all this stuff. Like hearing that that's the epicenter of, all, of this accomplishment for this guy. It's not that surprising anymore. They're not just copies, people. They make cooler stuff there. <laughs> yes, There's yes. an entire history of Silicon Valley that would blow your mind if you go f- back far enough, yeah. uh, back to the uh, the children of the Fairchild. It's awesome. Well, uh, thank you, Doctor Bob Metcalf, for your uh, your your. <laughs> for making our current life what it is. Um, all right, let's check out the mailbag. So James wrote us from Patreon, uh, and this was in response to our story yesterday that DP Review had shut down um, the photographer community. D- James said, this has stunned the community. No one in the community saw this coming. It was a go-to site every day. The forum on the site is massive. I'll miss it. Been going there off and on for 17 years. Never purchased anything camera-related before checking it out on DP Review first. Everything on the site linked to Amazon if you wanted to purchase. Amazon's pricing was in line with the other major camera companies. Photography, just a hobby for me, says James. And even entry-level purchases in today's camera market are expensive. It's hard to see where Amazon was losing, even with the market for cameras down. Time will tell. Thanks goes to the staff of DP Review. Hopefully a brighter future for them. And Amos, who is uh, one of our camera and photography aficionados in the DTNS uh, crew, notes that uh, some of the uh, DP Review's most front-facing personalities, for example, Chris Nicholas and Jordan Grake, have said they're moving their video reviews to the new Petapixel YouTube channel. So, sounds like people who care about the stuff aren't going to stop doing it, but, you know, they're going elsewhere. Yeah, it's a bummer when your community fractures or when something gets shut down and what tied you all together uh, is kind of up up in arms and you got to move. Um, but it's good to know that they'll find homes and, and people will be able to seek out the content they were looking for. For sure. Um, another James, not the same one, James from Columbus, Ohio, uh, wrote in about our story the other day about Netflix, getting into gaming, you know, trying to figure out their um, their ad-supported model. 
Jam says, as somebody who recently canceled Netflix, what it needs to do to get back my patronage and maintain it is to actually release content I want to watch. I don't see the reason to maintain a bunch of video streaming services at the same time. I watch the content I find interesting, and I cancel when the service runs dry for me. Then I subscribe to a different service instead. Netflix ran dry really quick my latest round. I wasn't really interested in a lot of their new content. James says, I'm a gamer. I never checked out their gaming content and probably won't in the future. My Xbox satisfies my current gaming needs, and I don't really see the point of exploring elsewhere. Mm. What do you yeah. think? What do you think about all that, Scott? I think that the. I mean, I'm trying. When they announced the gaming initiative, I had real questions. I think I talked about it on the show before, yeah. and I still kind of do. And I still don't think they really know ultimately where they're going to end up. There have been recent comments internally at Netflix about how they want to have their games on every TV, every smart box, every everything that can play Netflix also to play games, which sounds a lot like what Apple tries to do with their Apple TV devices running uh, games from the App Store. Um, and I And I get it, I guess, but I never really saw the connection of why they thought anyway somebody would be having a Netflix account and ever get to a moment where they're like, boy, I'm just, you know, none of this is doing it for me. I've seen all these shows. These new shows aren't interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, but wait, I'm not leaving because they got these mobile games. Like, I just don't see that as a draw to keep spending your $17 a month or whatever, whatever level you're at. Yeah. And so until they convince me otherwise, and so far they haven't, not saying they can't, um, I'm kind of with him. It's like, what's the motivation? There's there's just not a lot of reason to do it. If you're super hardcore about the games they have now, I get hanging around because then you'll get the best of both worlds, still get your programming, still get your games. I just don't think that's a huge bunch of people. And it's also marketed weird. There's a lot of other questions I have about that service. Well, as somebody who is into hardcore gaming, uh, Scott Johnson, thank you for being with us on this show today. But let folks know where they can keep up with your other gaming work. Well, sure. Uh, I have a show on Thursdays called Core, which uh, we put out the exact same night once it's done on podcast form. So if you would like the podcast or the video version or want to be there live, all the details are at frogpants.com slash core. Me and my co-hosts talk about the big uh, stories of the day, including this stuff at Ubisoft and uh computer-based ghostwriters uh we're gonna have a lot of discussion about this this week we also had a big successful test of diablo 4 which we're going to talk about if any of that's interesting to you check us out at frogpants.com slash core or wherever you get your podcasts excellent we also want to thank our brand new boss dimash dimash just started backing us on patreon thank you dimash we're so glad to have you uh, patrons, stick around for the extended show, Good Day Internet. We're going to talk about yet another food delivery service that is going the way of the dodo. Not necessarily totally the dodo, but, you know, it, yeah, food delivery services are having a hard time, as are scooter services and many other services. But just a reminder, we do the show live, and you can catch the show live Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 2000 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. We're back tomorrow talking big news from the Game Developer Conference, the GDC, with Trisha Hirschberger joining us. Yay! Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Welcome back to Two Judgy Girls. I'm Mary from the Bay. And I'm Courtney from L.A. TJG is the podcast where we spill all the tea on your favorite reality TV shows, celebrity gossip, and everything in between. We're here to bring you our unfiltered opinions, hilarious commentary, and plenty of laughs along the way. We're two SDSU Delta Gamma sisters with a microphone and a whole lot of opinions. Each week, we dive headfirst into the wild world of reality television from Bravo to all the trash TV you could want. We break down the drama, dissect the latest scandals, and share our thoughts on everything from the jaw-dropping moments to the embarrassing antics. But that's not all. We're not here to just gossip. We're here to connect with you, the jurors, and share our love of all things pop culture. Whether we're dishing on the latest celebrity breakups, discussing our favorite guilty pleasure movies, or sharing embarrassing stories from our own lives, we promise to keep it real, keep it fun, and keep you coming back for more. Come judge with us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 